0: Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local
1: agent today. Hi, I'm Alex L. and I write books for a living. Freedom is self-care. It's not about pedicures. It's not about clothing. It's not about trips. Join us as we journey through sharing together. This week's guest is Valencia Clay. Valencia and I are both very passionate about self-care, self-healing, and teaching our way through things, whether we're teaching ourselves or outsiders. Valencia is originally from Harlem, New York. Valencia's journey is significant because she made a way out of no way. We talk about Valencia being a woman and a woman of color on top of being an educator and how being a black woman has molded and shaped her way of teaching and how she's perceived as an educator. She had to do a lot of self-healing, as she calls it, before getting to where she is. This is Valencia's story. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's really nice to have you on the show, finally. I know.
2: I know. It's been like... The craziest. Your schedule is crazy. It's not my fault. <laughs> How's the,
1: how is the school year going?
2: Um, The second half, I feel like I'm in the second half. Like, it's a, a game. Yeah. Really. I feel like the second half is ending really strong. It's almost over. We have, like, four weeks left, which is nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to chat with you about your teaching and your teaching skills um, and just how you are building these this amazing relationship with your students. So for those people who may not be familiar with you, can you give us a little background on your self?
2: Sure. So I teach this is about to be my 10th year in the classroom. I'm from Harlem. And I went to Morgan for undergrad, Morgan State University, which led me to Baltimore, where I've been teaching for so long. And I did a little stint of teaching back in Harlem for like a year and a half. But after everything that happened this school year, I'm back now in Baltimore and I'm happy to be back. And all of these little like mysterious things keep happening that are like reminding me of why I needed to be here, Mm -hmm. even if only just for the end of this school year. And so I write, I have a blog, Valencia's Garden, and I published a book of like I hate to call it a book because it's not a book to me because it's not a readable book yeah. but it is a book you know it is a book <laughs> yeah but it's a, it's more just like a guide for people to find their way as far as what it means to be conscious and to think for yourself you know social media makes everybody followers everybody knows more of how to think like someone else than to actually form their own opinions. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say everybody, I shouldn't generalize in that way, but it's, it's really, it's hard to watch and not think of as a teacher, like, how can I help my peers? Absolutely. And so that's where that book was born from.
1: So you mentioned 10 years teaching. Why did you decide to become a teacher? And I know you are at an inner city school in Baltimore, correct? Mm -hmm. Why did you choose... In inner city school, number one. And number two, how do you feel like your 10 years of teaching have benefited your students who have come across you?
2: When I first graduated from Morgan, the beauty of that was that because I did, um, we have like this whole student teacher thing we have to do. Mm-hmm. And when you do it with Morgan, when once you start, if you start in the city with coming straight out of Morgan. With that experience, it allowed you to start at a higher pay scale than the county. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was like, okay, I'm just going to start in the city because it'll help me. And then the city also at that time was paying for 50% of your master's, whereas the county wasn't doing that. The benefits, everything was just better with the city. Mm -hmm. The schools that I I was in, they weren't too much different. The kids were, the county school that I did my, um, because I did a county school student teaching thing. They were the same as my city school because Mm -hmm. of the fact that at that time, this was like right after the projects in Baltimore had been torn down. And so a lot of families relocated to the county. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those county schools weren't stereotypical like PG County or Howard County schools. They were still real Baltimore city schools. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't much of a difference. But the city to me felt more like where I needed to be. And then, like I said, there were just so many more benefits as far as me being straight out of college. You know, my mom was isn't there. My dad isn't there. I have to really, like, take care of myself. So mm-hmm. I had to think, what what's going to help me to get my master's? What's going to help me to make sure that I can eat every day, you know? And so I'm really glad that I chose the city, though, because what a lot of people don't know is right before I started teaching, I couldn't pass the praxis. That's the teaching exam in, in Maryland that you have to take. To be certified right and so because I couldn't pass praxis, like I just graduated from undergrad and I was working in New York and Soho at like Best Buy and Junior's Cheesecake and while I was at Best Buy I got offered a job by one of the managers oh like a producer from Hot 97 offered me a job and I was like so excited about it and then he called me back the day before the first day of school to come and start the job in New York and I was like no I finally passed praxis. I found out today I'm staying in Baltimore to teach. And so at that point, it wasn't even about like benefits or, you know, it was literally, I had met my kids. I'd been with my kids for this from the summer for only a week and fell in love with them. And I'm like, I can't leave them now. Even though the first day of school hadn't even started yet, I passed my practice and it was like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. So,
1: yeah. That's amazing. So you just knew that being an educator. Was what you were supposed to do
2: when I was little, like everyone always, you know, asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always said I wanted to be a teacher. People would play house. I'd be in the house playing school. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I just it's always what I wanted to do to the point where I think back to being in like sixth grade and watching my teachers and think things like I can do that. Or like in high school or college, looking at teachers like, I could do that better. Like I was already thinking of different ways that I could teach their lessons to my peers. Wow. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing at the time, but I was. And so, yeah, I think this is the only thing that I was really created to do. And I mean, other things like I love creating, but I get such a natural high from creating for my students or for other teachers to use with their students.
1: That's amazing. So you mentioned your mom wasn't around, your dad wasn't around. How was your upbringing and how were you able to kind of navigate life, not by yourself, but in a sense? How are you able to walk through life with your parents not being there?
2: I mean, I was a victim for a long time and I didn't know that word until I started to, to, you know, on my whole like self-healing journey, which which I really didn't even know about until like you and like Ayanla, like when it became sort of like in vogue is when I started to understand more of what self-healing was. But as a child, knowing that I was like, I just, I was this victim and, but I didn't know that that's what it was, Mm. you know? Like, so my mom, she was on drugs. She's still on drugs. And my dad, he's the one that actually introduced her to crack. It's so interesting because, you know when she got pregnant he basically said to her like well i don't want a black baby and she told me this when i was like 16 and, and your dad is crazy and what's <laughs> interesting is like he's dominican
1: that's what so i was just about to ask you're you
2: <laughs> you're black like what are you talking about but you know it, this is why i i feel like my healing like it's it takes a while like i talked about earlier right how people are followers and yeah. so you know, I had that moment where my self-healing, I was trying to make it like yours or trying to make it like Ayanla's, or like, I was trying to do what everyone else was doing until I realized like my healing is through learning. And so once I started reading more, I read about colorism in Dominican Republic and how after Dominican Republic got their independence from, you know, when slavery was over there, they tried to whitewash the entire country of Dominican Republic. They literally tried to push out, they did, they pushed out everybody that was dark skinned, any Haitian had to go back to Haiti and they flew in all of these white Europeans so wow. that they could make Dominican Republic more white because they didn't want it to be black. And so my dad, you know I've never met him, I'm assuming that because they tell me that he looked like a white Spanish, not not like a black Dominican but more like a like, like, a, I guess like the skin complexion of like, um, like a Spanish, like a Spanish mm-hmm. person. I don't want to be stereotypical, but like, a, you know, like, I don't know. Anyway, right. so, <laughs> you
1: know what I'm trying to say. Though. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. Without yeah.
2: being so in a box. But yeah he must have been like, his family was probably white Dominican and not Morena. And so he, he thought that he was right in saying that. I know he knows he was wrong, but someone put, someone had to have planted that in his mind, for him to say something like that to my mother. And so, but I did not understand that until I began my self-healing journey, until I began to read. Once I read that, I, didn't, I don't think I read that until I was like 27, 28. Wow. So you can imagine me my whole life just thinking my dad didn't want a black baby. And I was like, "Here, Dominican. What are you talking about? Not understanding until I finally read about Dominican Republic and was like, oh, this is why he didn't want me. And then it brings me to oppression. And now, now, like, and now I'm like, okay, this is why we are so divided. Like, this is why most Dominicans don't consider themselves black because in Dominican Republic, to be black meant to be Haitian. To be black wasn't. I'm, I'm, like, to be negra is to be Haitian. Anything, anything other than that, you're good. If you're morena, you're good. But if you are negra, that means you're Haitian and DR and Haitians. Are not you know they don't get along because of the history of how Haiti came and took over DR and and then they took over like it's just so much history and so for me I was like all right that's when I stopped being a victim and I started to say okay this is this is bigger than me these are structures that were actually put in place but man like my grandmother was abusive you know and so my sister she she was all over the place and I really didn't have a support system my mom I can count the to- the amount of times I saw her you know, from the time I was a baby to 18, on one hand, like she was never around. She only came to maybe one or two graduations, one birthday party, and she had us twice at her house. That was literally my childhood with my mom. So I felt alone. I hated everything. Like I didn't feel good enough. I wasn't worthy of being loved until I realized, oh my God, they put crack in the communities. Oh my god, the war on drugs. Like when I started to learn, it was like, this has nothing to do with my mother. My mom is bipolar. She doesn't even know what mental illness is. We we as a community don't even know what it is to deal with someone who has postpartum after they have their baby. Like she when she had me, she was on crack. She lost everything. She she had this baby father who didn't even want the child. So of course she's depressed, but no one talks about depression. And so like <laughs> they see her crying like they literally tell me stories about how she was crying every day for months after she had me until finally they called the hospital and said you know she won't stop crying and what they didn't know is anybody and I saw this on the 13th documentary anybody who was on crack they would take your child from you immediately and so they took her to the hospital they said miss clay are you on drugs she said yes me and my brother, we went to foster care immediately. I knew that we went to foster care, but I didn't know it was because she answered the question of, am I on crack? Yes. Like, oh this is Harlem. This is this was all on purpose. So understanding the bigger picture is what made me say, oh, my God, I'm not a victim. I'm actually victorious. I came above all of this. Like, I rose above every single hurdle. It's unfortunate that my mom did not but she didn't know, you know, like they didn't know what crack was. They didn't know how it was going to devastate all of our communities in, in such a, such a, you know, horrific way. And so, yeah.
1: <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned a lot, but I really want to circle back on mental health in the Black community. So when did you start really taking control of your mental health? You You mentioned self-healing and how that journey was one of trial and error and trying to find out how your self healing would benefit you and your journey. How has that translated, number one, into your life? And number two, into the lives of your students? How do you try to bring mental health awareness and self healing into the classroom?
2: I think the number one way it really transcends from me to them is my level of empathy. Has risen to like an all time high to the point where sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even yell at her for that. Because where, you know, I just got diagnosed with my mood disorder two years ago. Right. So if this is, you know, I'm coming up on year 10, I spent seven years not seeing them through their, through the lens of their mental disabilities, even if they don't even have an IEP. Like, I didn't see that stuff. I just saw, I saw them the same way we are seen as, you know, either angry or acting out or, you know, getting too smart or whatever the case may be. And I may know that this person has family issues and I may, and I always was good at building relationships with them and loving them and they love me. But now when a girl is just being disgustingly nasty toward me, I just look at it and say, you know, I love you, right? And then I just see her entire body change, her her entire body language changes. Because really all she needed to hear was that she's loved. Whereas before I may have like yelled at her, kicked her out or shamed her in front of the rest of the class. Mm. You know, and so that has really changed me as far as looking at them as the people that they are. People who just need as much help as I needed at that age.
1: Absolutely. That is wonderful because we need more teachers specifically teachers of color who have that type of empathy that can translate into education do you feel as though being a teacher specifically a woman specifically a woman of color has made your job harder
2: um sometimes it depends so now Being a teacher of color is pretty much in vogue. Like, I love the fact that we are becoming so high in demand. Our voices are being much more considered. Mm -hmm. And I think it's unfortunate that we are getting an ear on the backs of black boys being killed so often. Like, before, in Baltimore specifically, before Freddie Gray, when I was teaching just as a black teacher, not even thinking about teaching black history or, you know, things that are happening today, as far as our community is concerned. When I was teaching before, I felt like a token. I felt like, you know, people only came to me when they needed a black ear Hmm. or wanted me to teach black history without labeling it black history, you know? And so I, it was hard then because I just felt isolated. And I also felt like if I wanted to be respected, then I would need to prove myself in almost a Eurocentric way. And so that was a task because that's not me. Like I'm I'm so not that. And so for me, it was like this inner battle and I couldn't do it. Not that I, I'm not good at it, but it was just like inside my morals were like, you're, this is not what your kids need. Like your kids need it to be this way. And so I, I feel like I kind of was more of like a trailblazer in doing what the kids need versus what we are told to do. And now I'm looked at as an expert in what do the kids need? But if I hadn't, if I hadn't inside been the one to say, this hurts for me to be told I'm doing too much black stuff or to be told that I may not know enough. It hurts, but I'm going to do what I need to do for these kids anyway. If I had not put the kids first, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the expertise that I have. And so I'm just grateful that I had enough, I guess, gumption to to push forward.
1: So you mentioned teaching too much quote unquote, black stuff, you would get those types of concerns and, and comments from the the workplace?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even parents, you know, like, I had a white parent say to his son, you know, well, she teaches that stuff, because that's all she knows. And so I was like, what? (laughs) And that really made me say, okay, I'm not going to teach this anymore, because I got to prove to them that I know more. And then I hated it. Like we were, it just, it's first of all, I was bored. And, and, and not because it's not fun to teach anything outside of that, but the kids want to read what they relate to. And the thing is you can teach, you can teach Shakespeare. You can really literally use anything with black stuff. That's mirrors and windows. But it took me knowing about mirrors and windows to get that. You can't just cut off who you are. And I mean, that that literally, that advice fits into every sector of life because people who don't understand something are always going to go against it or say something really, really you know, offensive about it. Yeah. And if you don't know yourself, then you're going to listen to them and feed into that. And so it took me a long time to be like, you know what? I know that I know way more than what they're telling me I know. But I know more importantly that my kids need to know this so-called black stuff. But the truth is like today we had this really racy conversation and one of the questions that was in my, like we had like these anonymous questions and one of my questions word for word was, do you think you t- teach too much black stuff? Black literally was in there and the same old question coming up again. And I said, yes, I do. Sometimes I really just want to t- talk about China or, you know, sometimes I really just want to go and, and think about, you know, just anything other than black culture, but I can't. When black boys aren't being killed anymore, when my students who are 16 years old aren't being tried as adults, like I have a student that was arrested two days ago for um, attempted murder because he shot someone in the arm and he's being tried as an adult at 16, but you have you know, cops killing us on, well not us, but people of our culture on camera and not going to jail at all. When this isn't happening anymore, then I won't have to teach so much black stuff. But at this point, I can't have these kids going into the world not being aware, Hmm. number one, that they are worthy. So yes, I'm going to teach about Africa and let them know that their ancestors were kings, were kings. Let them know why slavery even began, how it even began, who started what. Like they need to know about everything. Because if you look at me as teaching so much black stuff, that means it's not being taught anywhere else. So that means that I have to do it because who else is going to do it? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. I, and, and to me, like, that's my that's my protest. Like, I'm not going to stand outside on a, on a line with a with a poster. The posters are being made in this room when I'm writing on the board. Like, that is my form of activism. And literally, I see the light bulbs on top of their heads when they're like having that same oh moment that I had when I realized my mom wasn't in my life because someone put this in our communities to make sure that we were destroyed in that way. Like, they need the same. This is Baltimore City. Like, heroin is so rampant. Mm. We see themes every day outside of our school, you know? And so they need to understand, why is my uncle in jail? Why is my father in jail? Like, these are their, this is their stories. Their stories are the same as mine. And so until the day when we don't have these stories anymore, I won't have to teach them. But (laughs) I will.
1: But until then.
2: Exactly. And, And what the beauty is, though, like, now I'm doing Palestine, which I'm so excited to get to do the Middle East. But the kids are the ones, like, oh my God, this is just like they watched a video of this little, these two boys that were killed last year, who were 17 years old, by Israeli police officers. The the police officers at first said that the guy that the boys were charging them, but you can clearly see on the video they were walking, minding their business, and were shot by snipers, long range, on camera. And all, my kids are automatically like, oh my God, this is just like what's happening here. But at this point, I don't even have to do the talking about it. They're able to make the connections that oppression lives in not just black communities but any community of people that are of color that don't have the money or the power that other people have you know i mean i gotta do what i gotta do they gotta learn it we gotta do it
1: (laughs) man you are just you are a powerhouse and i love it
0: this show is supported by state farm insurance is a part of any solid financial plan Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: Talk to your local agent today. Do you love discovering new products? Are you a beauty and fashion maven constantly on the hunt for the next best thing? Ever read about or spot something online that you've always wanted to try but never have? Then you might love FabFitFun. It allows women everywhere to discover new products as well as including rave review and must-have brands that you know and love. It's like Christmas four times a year. Stumped on gift ideas, FabFitFun is also a great gift for someone you love. You can surprise your mom or sister with this awesome summer box packed with great items. Do you have a daughter who's going to college maybe or a friend who's a new mom? FabFitFun is an awesome care package. My last box came with this beautiful lotus towel. It was blue and it's shaped like the flower and it has a gorgeous design in the middle. That's something we've been laying out on the deck and relaxing on for a few weeks now. So what I love about FabFitFun is that they offer full-size products, no samples of anything. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 plus in retail value. The Summer 2019 box has a total retail value between 269 to 467 That's fantastic. Treat yourself with items in it. Such as the Sutra Professional Mini Travel Blow Dryer, the beautiful Vix Paula Lotus Towel, or the West Elm Indigo Tie-Dye Bowls. Many of the products' individual value is more than the entire cost of the box. You can customize your box by choosing some products and some add-ons with each one. Or you can be surprised. It's great for discovering new brands and new products. What a better way to shop. I'm looking forward to my next box because they're always so different and packed with things I can actually use. I like to share the items in my box with my 11 year old. She's really into skincare these days. We recently got a clay mask and a foot mask and a body scrub. She loves them all. The FabFitFun 2019 Summer Box is on sale now. So sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. You can use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. All you have to do is go to FabFitFun to sign up and get started. Use promo code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. So, you and I are friends, and we've talked about a lot of things together before, specifically around career and also our community moving forward. And I remember there was this instance where you kind of got a lot of backlash on social media for a post that you shared about being woke and what that means to you. Number one, how do you define woke? And number two, how does your wokeness translate into you being an educator?
2: Girl, this is nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that word now is so
1: mainstream.
2: Uh, yeah, like, you know, and Erica Badu gets no credit. So it's just interesting to me. But I, to me, to be woke at this point is different than it was when I would have defined it maybe a few years ago. I, I think right now what I believe woke is, is to first know yourself. And when, when I say that, I mean, know who you are, define yourself and know about your culture, know where you come from, know why you are here, know how you got here, know what you stand for. Once you know enough about yourself, then you can go ahead and say, I'm woke. But I think a lot of people are mixing up woke with knowing about other people. Mm. For instance, white people saying stay woke, they're talking about staying woke in black culture. That's not your woke. Like, I get it though. Like, you want to understand, and I and I'm happy that you want to understand and, and are open to it. But your woke is a little bit different than my woke. A lot and I different. think for even for us, like we <laughs> we we have begun. And I hate I shouldn't keep generalizing, but it's just easier. I'm being lazy. It's funny. You know, we've begun to you know to 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 use woke as knowing about white privilege or or calling out other people when they do things. And it's like, that isn't woke anymore. Woke is to be able to say, this is who I am and where I fit in all of this. And I'm not gonna allow anyone to label me. I'm not gonna fit into any specific boxes, unless I want to, unless mm-hmm. I want to, but I know enough to say, that I want to or not. I have a friend who has a PhD, he just, he just got his PhD from Princeton and we had this argument about, you know, teaching children to be angry. And he's like, you gotta teach them to be angry. And I'm like, why would I do that? He's like, because F the police, F, you know, white people, he was really going in. And I'm like, you know what? You have a right to say that, but bigger than that, you can say that because you have a PhD. You have, you have a master's degree in African American studies. You know enough to choose to say F the police. But these children don't know enough to choose. So if they're saying F the police, that's literally all they know. I hate, it's not that I hate the word, but when I see the word now, I, I really think about who's using it and how they're using it. I literally just think about, okay, to me, because to me, at the place where I am, woke means to know who you are and then to know who your people are. And then to say, are we are these really my people or have I been told that these are my people? Like, it's just a bigger uh, we're at i I'm at a higher level with it. But I also have to be mindful that everyone isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And so I don't judge anyone who's yelling, stay woke. Knowing that I'm looking at them like, but have, do you actually know? Like, I don't judge. This is why I teach because now I have to use, you know, my Instagram or my blog to say, this is actually what this means or this is what colorism is. Or so instead of, instead of me, because I, you know, a lot of educated people look down on people who just become, I want to say bandwagon hoppers. On on looking at things to say, all right, well, this is cool now. Being black is cool now. Being, you know, black, black power and pro-black is so cool now, so we're going to do it. Or saying black lives matters is the thing, you know. And to me, it's like I can see through it. I can see when someone doesn't really know, but that is why I have to do the work I do in the classroom and outside of the classroom. Like, I look at it as once you know, it, it is your responsibility to teach others. Right. So... No, because people don't know what they don't know. And that's why they say and do the things that they do.
1: So on your social media post that got all that attention, what was causing all of the attention?
2: People were angry because I was promoting solidarity.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so So let's talk
1: about that. Promoting solidarity in a time that is so tumultuous, which I feel like is brave of you, is big of you, is, is amazing of you. Why do you think people are so anti solidarity right now?
2: People are just awakening. So it's the stages of grief, right? When you first begin grieving, the first stage is anger. Well, I think it's denial, denial and then anger, right? And so people are at that anger stage where I'm at an acceptance stage. And so, and many people are at the acceptance stage. And to be accepting does not mean that you agree accepting means you understand and you figure out ways to move on
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and so for me i accept the fact that our world is racist in many sectors i accept the fact that you know people have power and they are abusing it that doesn't mean i agree with it but i accept it and now i have to do the work of figuring out how do we push forward how do we push forward but the people who were giving me backlash they're not in acceptance yet they're angry and they have a very huge right to be. But what they were saying to me is, well, you were, you were promoting young, angry and black. How can you be young, angry and black and then say, but I'm still angry at times. Like the, the grieving process is not linear. There are times when I'm pissed, where, I'm, where, I'm, where I teach from pure anger and those are probably my best lessons because I'm just shooting the kids with all of this knowledge. Like, no, you need to know this, this and this because <laughs> this is happening right now. But I can't live in that anger for too long because there is no solution. That anger can fuel you. You can use it as gas, but you cannot ride on that forever. And that is why we won't move forward. And I, I truly honestly believe, you know, people want us to stay angry. People who are angry want us to stay angry. And people who are perpetuating racism and oppression want us to stay angry because they know that the truth is you won't push forward. You won't get past it. If you're still looking at white people as they're all bad or white cops as they're going to kill us. Or, you know, if you're going to, if you stay in that place, you won't push forward. And so, I, I mean, I didn't expect the backlash because I had been garnering so much love for so long, but you know, Maya Angelou says, don't put, don't pick it up. Don't put it down. So, <laughs> I was, I was like, all right, it is what it is. I know what I got to do. And I'm just going to cut these comments off. <laughs> <and keep
1: moving. laughs> but also too, you opened, up, you. you opened up, you opened up, conversation and you really did open up a place where I feel like I feel like your social media is a a safe space I feel like it's a it's a place where people can go and get educated and you're a leader you are a leader you're an educator our kids need you we need your voice in this world so you standing up for solidarity is something that I find very inspiring specifically because Young, angry, and black can't always be young, angry, and black. You know what I mean? We we have our moments, and we will continue to have those moments, but that doesn't mean we have to wallow in those moments forever because, like you said, how are you going to move forward if you're stuck in that mindset? So with that being said, how are you teaching your students how to move on and move forward, maybe not even necessarily in regards to being young and black, but just being people in this world who often get the short end of the stick for many reasons, for socioeconomic reasons, for j- just all the different things that can just come along with being a human being, aside from being black, because we're going to carry that with us, right, forever. How are you teaching your students how to move on and move forward and be productive members of society?
2: You know, what's interesting is they are the ones that are teaching me mm. that, like, the, the beauty of children is that they are so carefree. And what's interesting with them is when I teach them something that makes them angry, we were reading Homegoing today, and there's a chapter we were reading about H., Who's, who I don't even want to tell your readers because everyone just needs to read Homegoing. It's like the best book ever. But anyway, a. we were reading the chapter about H and I could see it in the kids' faces, the white kids and the black kids' faces. They were angry, so mad about what was happening. And then as soon as we were done with the chapter, everyone was like, you know, we really needed to talk about this today. Like, they started, they had their own conversation, and I'm just listening in, and they're literally like, if we got everybody on the block to read this, do you think people would stop doing this, this, and that? And so I'm just looking at them like, you know what, you're right. Now I need to figure out how do I get more people to read this too? Like, And so I just think that with the kids, I am going into it with, okay, I'm going to give them this and teach them this, and if, if they feel this way, I will, you know, react in this way but i'm learning that they already have it Mm. the trick is to tell them when they're doing it and so when they were done with that entire conversation i said to them i said you guys know what you just did and they're like what i'm like you just came up with a solution to one of the world's biggest problems so you have to really you have to as the adults have to be able to help them to identify when they're doing it because they already are healers
1: yeah they
2: just don't know it because no one is acknowledging it and so for me, I just let them be themselves and acknowledge it every time it happens, even with their own issues. Like there, there are times when, you know, they're upset about their parents or they're upset about their shoes or someone jokes on someone else and it's really, really mean. But they'll have that moment where they come to, well, he said that because he really wants what I have. Or my mom isn't there because like this girl, she was crying because everybody made fun of her because her hair wasn't done like crying for so long, like my hair isn't done and everybody's joking on me because I got this little ponytail, the cutest little girl ever. She said, but my mom can't afford to get my hair done right now, my dad isn't here. And I said, I said, well, do you know what you just did? And she was like, what? I was like, you just made an adult, you know, decision that you're not gonna be upset about your hair because you understand. So why are you gonna let everybody else make you feel upset about it? And like, she literally started wiping her eyes. I was like, you do know that you understand what's going on in your life. You don't need other people to understand it. And so for her, it was a moment of, I already know who I am, but I don't know that I know who I am because nobody's validating that I know who I am. And Mm -hmm. so as the teacher, I just give them those little moments. And then I do, I do what we needed. I taught, I told this little girl, I said, you need to go in the bathroom right now, wash your face. And before you do, you tell yourself, I love myself. I love my hair. You know, all of those things that we are doing now as adults, that no one did with us. And so, and I said, you better say it every day. So now I check in with her, did you say it today? Did you say it today? She's like, "Yeah." And then one day I said, "Did you say it today?" She was like, "No, I'm in a good mood. I didn't say it today." I'm like, "Oh no, honey, you got to say it every day. Even when you're in a good mood, you have to say it every single day. Like you have to you have to remind yourself, don't just wait till you feel sad again. Use it every day." And so, for me, it's so it's literally those those moments of I needed that when I was their age, but also those moments of let them work it out and then tell them how good they worked it out.
1: That's wonderful. So as we wrap this up, um, it has been so awesome chatting with you. I am stoked to have you on the show. I know our listeners will be very excited to hear your point of view as a black woman, as a black educator. You are really just doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. So before we wrap up, I would love for you to give your top three self-healing tips that helped you navigate through your mental health, your teaching, and your personal life?
2: Number three is to read and learn, right? And then number two, I would say, is to breathe and meditate. And number one is to be intentional. Be intentional about everything you do, everything you say, every move you make. Those are the three. Love it.
1: I love it. Please tell us where we can find you on the internet for those of us who don't know.
2: I am on the gram, Valencia underscore Valencia, because I'm a Gemini, there's two me's. And on Twitter, I am Valencia Smiles. My blog is ValenciasGarden.com.
1: Oh, your book though, your book.
2: Oh yes, I have, see, see how I am with this book? (laughs) I am so bad with my book because I literally, I just use it as a tool for the kids and I, and then for other people, I really need to get better at remembering that I have a book. But it's called (laughs) Soundless Cries Don't Lead to Healing. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble it's in a lot of independent bookstores around the country and I have a mini like tour coming up for teachers only but if people want to come and they're not a teacher just DM me we'll get you in
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much sis it was great talking to you
2: yes I love you you know I love you so much I
1: love you I love you I'll talk to you soon okay bye bye Hey Girl podcast is a member of the District Productive. Produced by Paul, Woody Woodhall and me, Alex L. Music by DC's own, Kokai.
0: Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.